Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Clamp Podcast. Today, we welcome Xavier Moon for an interview. Xavier is a highly decorated player, um, being an MVP of the CEBL three times and having the trophy, the MVP trophy designed after him. Um, he's played in numerous NBA games and it's played at all different levels. So how are you doing, Xavier? Hey, I'm alive, so I can't complain. <laughs> Two-time two finals MVP, yeah, two too. Two-time finals MVP. Two that's time just, finals that's just and... you know, a short list of his accolades. So let's uh, start it off. So um, let's start from your childhood. Um, so when you when you were growing up, did you always want to be an NBA player? Was that your goal in life? Uh, no, nah, not for real. Um, I actually played every sport growing up. I didn't just play basketball. I played football. Um, and I didn't really fall in, fall in love with the game of basketball until I got to high school, probably like my ninth grade year. Really? Um, yeah. Did you did you think like you could probably take? Sorry, to cut you off. Did no. you did you think that uh you could take like football to the next level? Uh, I never really tried. Like I just played because yeah. I didn't want to sit around waiting on basketball season. So that's that's pretty much what I played. And all my homeboys played football, so I just played to be out there with them. For sure. Yeah. Um. So growing up, I mean, for me, uh, you know. In my journey to the NBA, you know, because we know I'm making it to the league for sure. Um, for me, it's been Kyrie Irving, who's been the player I've been looking up to. Um, for you growing up, was there a specific uh, player that you really saw as a role model? Uh, I watched Chris Paul all the time. Uh, that was probably like the main player that I watched from the time he went to Wake Forest to the New Orleans Hornets. And um and then, obviously, I watched him with the Clippers and now with the Suns. And another player would be my uncle. Uh, obviously, my uncle, played, my uncle played in the league, too. So, he was somebody I looked up to. Yeah. Did he uh, Did he give you a lot of motivation to um, go to the NBA at one point in your life? Yeah, he did. Because um, when he made it to the league, I was in middle school. Um, and then, like, two years after that, that's when I really started taking basketball serious. So, I'm like, damn, he made it to the league. So, I feel like I can do the same thing. For sure. For sure. Um, so at what point in your career do you think was your actual turning point to become a pro? Like, when did you really put your head down and say, I'm, I'm determined to get to the league? Um, probably when I first became a pro, um, I, I never really looked too far ahead, um, not in high school, not even in college. Uh, when I signed that first pro contract and I'm like, man, like I got a lot of work to do, but I feel like, I mean, all I got to do is just keep my head down, keep working. And eventually something will pay off. Like I'll get I'll get there somehow, some way. Like I don't care how long it takes. So I feel like once I became a pro, then that's when it uh it really became a realization that I can make it to the league. For sure, for sure. And can you talk about kind of when making that jump as a basketball player, kind of the gap between the level in high school and college? Because we know at Northwest uh Florida State, um, you average four point uh, five points per game as a freshman, 7.7 points per game as a sophomore. Uh, but then you made the switch. You transferred to a Moorhead state uh, where you averaged 10.2 games um, per, uh, in junior year and 16 points per game as a senior. So first of all, what school, but also what system do you think really fit you as a player? Um, It just takes time. Man. Obviously, you grow year by year. Uh, you learn more. Uh, you become stronger. You become smarter. So I feel like um, it it depends on the vets that you have on your team. Um, obviously, my first year as a freshman, I had a lot of guys who were who had already played Division One level, and they came back down uh, to play junior college. Because at the time, if you played Division One and you wanted to transfer, you had to come, you had to go down to junior college to be able to transfer to another Division One. 
So I had a lot of guys who already had one, maybe two years Division One under the belt already. So I learned a lot from those guys my first two years. And then once I got to Moorhead, I found myself becoming a vet because um, I had already been through it my first two years. So I feel like I fit the role perfectly uh, coming into Moorhead my junior senior year. Yeah, do you think, like, college is – college basketball is more systematic as high school more guys got like the green light to just shoot all the time and kind of have to have like a role in college yeah uh college is definitely more systematic um depending on what college you go to and who you are as a player uh obviously you got certain guys that can do whatever they want to but um a lot of a lot of college teams man you have to fit you have to fit within the system um if you can't play within that system then that's not gonna be the school for you yeah for sure um can you describe the your experience going undrafted in 2017? Did that really give you like a chip on your shoulder to you know make it to the league one day? It's crazy because I never I never even entered a draft, <laughs> so oh, I don't really. Know. Yeah, I don't know. It, it's oh sad. yeah, we we looked it up and uh, it yeah. said you got we went undrafted. Yeah, we got we got to fix that then. Yeah, I never entered the draft. Like I, oh, I've had crazy. I question asked quite a few times, but I never entered the draft. I went straight overseas. I yeah. signed. After I graduated in May, I signed a, a pro contract in like June or July, and I left and going to France. So I I never even entered the draft. Yeah, they really they have that wrong on the internet. <laughs> so signing that pro contract though uh, in June was the idea to eventually make the jump uh, to, you know, the G League or the NBA. Uh, at that point, man, I was just happy to become a pro. Like I had been working just for that title for so long. Um, so to sign that first contract, I didn't care where it was. Um, as long as I was getting paid to play basketball, then I felt like I had accomplished at least one of my goals on my list. Right. And, you know, since uh, after following college, you played all over the world. Can you kind of describe that experience of where the game has taken you and, uh, you know, where, um, you know, what league, did you play in that you personally found most difficult to thrive in? I mean, obviously the CEBL, you uh, you accomplished a lot. And but what league do you think really helped you grow as a player? What was most difficult? Um, I think the most difficult part was my first year out of college, uh, going to France. Yeah. Um, it, it was a big culture shock for me because I had never been out the country by myself. Uh, so to be in France eight nine months by myself, uh, didn't speak French. Um, and nobody over there wanted to speak English. So I had, it was a big culture shock, but I think my first year in France actually prepared me for like the next three years of my career. Um, I ended up going to Israel. Um, and I feel like I learned so much in France that once I got to Israel, it was easy for me to deal with. Um, obviously a lot more people spoke English, but, uh, I, I actually got to Israel and I embraced the culture for what it was instead of trying to, trying to make it America. Cause I feel like that's where a lot of players, mess up that they want to go overseas and expect it to be quote unquote Americanized when all you have to do is embrace the culture for what it is, man. I feel like you enjoy it better. Um, and obviously playing here in Canada, like that made me who I was um, from the NBL to the CBL. Um, I'm grateful for both of those leagues, um, regardless of what I accomplished in all of them. I'm grateful for both of them. For sure. Um, so, when you made your NBA debut against the Nets, um, like what emotions were you going through? Like, uh, were you were you overjoyed? Were you it was like same old, same old, or like what were you feeling? Uh, was it like just another game or? 
Yeah, I think I had more I had more emotions when I got the news than when I played my first game. Um but when once they told me that I was signing my 10 day, um I think I had that was probably the most the most emotions I felt my whole career. Um but stepping in the game for that that first time, I had there was no emotion, like no 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 adrenaline, no I was anxious, nervous, none of that cuz I I felt like I was supposed to be there. So like once I got that first opportunity, man, I was just happy that it came when it came. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, Xavier, there is definitely no lack of star power um, that, you know, you have been around. Uh, I remember back in that January game, you were going up against guys like Kevin Durant, James Harden. However, as you start this season uh, as a Clipper, you're starting with, you know, healthy stars with Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. Um, with these experiences, has there been a certain player on the court that you feel like okay this guy's gonna really help me work on my game with all of his greatness um obviously p and Kawhi, like them being as great as they are but the the person that i gravitated toward the most was reggie uh reggie jackson um and that just came off his energy like because when i first got there he was in covid protocol so he missed like the first two or three games once i got there and once he got back and he walked in the locker room and his energy changed everything. So I feel like we gravitated toward each other. And he's somebody that I work with a lot once I'm, um, when I'm back in L.A. So I feel like I've learned a lot from him, not only as a player, but as a person, too. Yeah, I mean, talking about systematic basketball, him in uh, L.A. has really fit him compared to like oh, previous teams in like Detroit or something where he's really just thrived in the L.A. offense and defense. Facts. I think. I think that's a, the perfect role for him, um, being at the point, distributing, but also being one of the main guys, uh, not just relying on Kawhi and PG, but I feel like Reg is probably like their third piece. And now that we've added John Wall, um, yeah, yeah, I, feel like, sure. I feel like he'll take he'll take a lot of pressure off of Reg, and Reg will just be able to play his game throughout the, the whole season. If we stay healthy, man, I like us. For sure. really, yeah. Where, where do you see the Clippers ending up this season? Shit, we if we stay healthy, I feel like we can win. Like I honestly feel like that. Like like I said, man, we brought in John. We pretty much signed everybody back. Um, so I'm, I got us. Okay, <laughs> I, yeah. You right. got you've got some good centers too. I mean, yeah, yeah. Sure. Um, yeah. I would say, uh, what examples um of adversity throughout your life do you feel like advance you not only as a person but also as a basketball player? Um. Being cut, um, a lot of people don't don't understand like the magnitude of being cut, especially when you feel like you've worked your whole life to be where you are. Um, a lot of basketball players don't have the experience that uh, playing overseas, like that's that's adversity. You're away from home eight to ten months out of the year um, without any breaks. Like you're not getting the chance to come home for Christmas, Thanksgiving, none of that type of stuff. So I feel like. Um, you making those sacrifices, man, just to play the game that you love. Um, and players in the States or players that's playing in the NBA or in the G League don't understand that. So until you've been in somebody's shoes that's played overseas or um, that's been over there multiple years, like five plus years, you will never understand what it's like to be overseas by yourself most of the time. Because when you start out, you don't have a family. Like you don't have kids, you don't have a wife. You don't have none of that. So once you start out overseas by yourself, man, it's 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 a lot to get adjusted to. But 
I feel like if you can play overseas, then you can play anywhere. Yeah. Do you think? Do you think like going overseas and is it like a big differential between the NBA and uh, overseas? Because I mean, Luca Luca went public saying that it's more it's stronger basketball, it's more contact overseas. Do you agree with that? Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. The NBA is I hate to say it, but the NBA is soft. Really? And obviously, you got like the three second rules, offensive and defensive. Overseas, you don't have that. Like it's harder to score because you got people just standing in the paint. Uh, it's fever rules, so you can smack the ball off the rim, like all that type of stuff. Um, it makes the game a lot different, and it makes it a lot harder to score. So that's why I feel like it's so easy for Luca to score in the league. Because if you play Euro League since you were 17, 18, once you get to the league and you got that much space, man, you can do whatever you want to. Yeah, I get that. I mean, <laughs> what would you describe yourself as a player? Like, what are your key attributes and all that? Like, what do you bring to the table? Uh, obviously, speed, experience, uh, whether that's in the league or not. Um, I can shoot, pass, dribble, pretty much everything within the modern game. But I'm also – I'm a playmaker, not only on the offensive end, but the defensive end as well. Um, getting guys involved, picking up full court, like all that type of stuff. So, I feel like I bring quite a few things to the table. I think we could definitely see your playmaking uh, when we were watching some of the uh... – Agua Caliente or Ontario games this past season, you know, you're definitely uh, knocking down threes with the downtown Ontario, but uh, you know, you definitely, you were very efficient and, you know, driving, uh, driving into the basket, your, your speed, you really, you showed that off. But um, I got to ask about the Ontario Clippers. You guys had a very strong season last year. Um, You know, you had really good players such as uh, you, Keaton Wallace, um, you know, Cameron Edwards, what are, you know, what's the mentality going into this season for Ontario? Um, just trying to rebuild and get back to where we were last season. Um, once I found out that was our first time making it to the finals or the Western Conference finals, the playoffs in itself, I was like, man, that's crazy. Like, we've been around for how long? Five, six years? And that's the first time we made it to the playoffs. So I feel like, I mean, we're only going to get better. Um, as long as they continue to to put the time and the work in to building the right team, I feel they can go as far as they want it to. For sure, for sure. Um, <clears throat> what do you think? I mean, we're talking about the key differences throughout the podcast, but like between the G League and the NBA, like is there is there much difference? Like, it, I mean, it's American basketball. You don't have language barrier. It's a lot of other factors. It's it's sim. It's very similar. Is there is there much difference? Very similar, but the the key difference that I found out by playing in the G League is just the IQ. Um, I found out, like, why a lot of players play in the G League five-plus years or they're there, like, longer than they expect expect to be. Um, even the guys that's averaging, like, 25, 26 points a game, like, once you make it to the league, that's not going to be your role on the NBA team. Every NBA team already has a superstar. So you have to find, you have to figure out, Whatever G League team you're playing on, that NBA team, you have to figure out what they need. And whatever they need, you have to try to fit that role. Like, you can't go into a G League season saying, I'm going to average this, when you don't even know what the team need. <laughs> they might not need you to average 20, 25. They might need you to come in and be a facilitator, which is why you should be watching NBA games. Um, so I figured that out. Like, playing there, a lot of guys just want to go there and try to get stats or just want to try to score the ball. But – it's a lot more to the game than just putting the ball in the hole. I think that's definitely true. All about, you know, fitting that role, you know, what the team needs you to do. 
Um, and as a point guard, that's yeah, that's especially your role. Um, Xavier, we can't thank you enough. Uh, you know, thank you for providing us this uh, this insight into the game. It's been a pleasure. And uh, maybe the next time we'll be talking to you, we might be talking to a NBA champ, Xavier Moon. Yeah. You know, we're gonna have to see. We go speaking into existence, man. Next time we talk, I have a, I have a ring on my finger, and I'm all here. right, all right, perfect, all right, all right. Thank you so much, Thank Xavier. You. No problem, man. I appreciate it.